Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam Hartings. Oh, super Mark. I think we're all still celebrating that. That's sweetest, one of the sweetest victories Munster have had in a decade, I'd say. Indeed. Hook it in my veins now, to be perfectly honest. I suppose in this episode, ladies and gentlemen, we'll review the URC semi-finals. Two cracking fixtures and plenty of drama, as we predicted in the Aviva. So we'll look at Munster's 16-15 win against Leinster. We'll also look at the Stormers' 43-25 result over Connacht in Cape Town. We'll also have a preview of the Champions Cup final this weekend between Leinster Rugby and La Rochelle. And also a quick preview of the Challenge Cup final between Toulon and Glasgow Warriors. I suppose, Liam, let's kick off. We've already talked about it here. Munster-Leinster in the Aviva. Cracking advert for the URC the playoffs. And I thought Munster probably deservedly advanced to the final. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, I mean, you know, an awesome moment there at the end from Crowley. But I think Munster would have been, we would just been kicking ourselves if, if we didn't get through that. You know, at the end of the day, it wasn't just position. We had so many chances, even if you think back and compared to Leinster over the course of the, the 80 minutes. You know, how many times do we have, you know, a ball spilled on the line or a pass misplaced and all that. And in the end, it took an absolute moment of genius and an ice cold kicking from Crowley to get us there. But um, I think what was heartwarming for me, to be honest with you, was the fact that we, in my view, outplayed Leinster for most of that game. And that's that's what really stood to me. And there was no... Um, there was no, no kind of backs against the wall effort for, for 18 minutes just defending, you know, and trying to nick a try here or there. And yeah, we, we, we were like really superb in all facets. From the very first minute when the ball was kicked off to us, we actually had uh, ran the ball and that's what we did for the rest of the game, really. And the, again, what, what's impressed me this season, I, I keep going back to, is the, the, the interlink play and, and our backline play has been actually excellent for most of the season. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Liam. I think what we asked this last week in the podcast was for Muster Rugby to deliver stand-up and deliver performance, and I think they certainly did that. I mean, minute one, Harry Pern gets the penalty for Leinster, 3-0 early lead. But again, Munster's response, like it has been for most of the season here, Liam, it was pretty defiant, and maybe we should have had more points on the board. But Ben Healy, I thought, was pretty lively during his cameo. Two excellent penalties on the 10th and 23rd minute to make it a 6-3 game. I thought Munster were extremely brave on the day, uh, Liam, as well. You know, we turned down some three-point opportunities to hit the line. I really thought that was very much a psychological effect there, you know, of the game, that Munster weren't going to take a backward step, and so it proved. Um, on any other day, I would say, kick the ball! <laughs> kick the penalty. <laughs> but no, I actually fully agree with you. It was one of those days where, look, quite frankly, we were on top. Uh, and you have to make it count and you have to drive it home. And I absolutely wasn't in favour of all those, I suppose, penalties turned down and, and uh, kick, kick, kicks the touch into the corner. And, yeah, I mean, look, I suppose, look, it, it, it was even Stephen and then we had Orion Bear try disallowed, I suppose, there for um, Jimmy O'Brien, you know, with the, with the, the ball actually going forward. Um, and, and, and that was a huge turnaround because we had that... And then we had Healy kicking to put us ahead. 
Um, and that was a, a huge swing, I felt, one of, the, one of the big swings in the game, actually. We'll talk about Ryan Baird in a minute, but I mean, it was a sensational try. You know, I know it's disallowed, but just the pace of the, the Leinster forward was just immaculate there. But to be fair to Munster, you know, as I say, kind of take some of the breaks, but the bravery part of it, um, maybe from a video analysis perspective, maybe there was a few occasions here where opportunities were spurned. I mean, I'm thinking of that five-metre line-out and uh, Max Deegan ripping the ball out. You know, there was one or two opportunities here where we could definitely have uh, imposed our will a little bit more on Leinster, but I suppose it's just the resilience of it, Liam, for me, really stuck out for Munster. I mean, the Jason Jenkins tried just before half-time. I would have thought in previous seasons, if that was a Munster team, that would have really deflated the team. But to be fair to Munster, going into that second half, they continue to be on front football and uh, kind of culminating in that tight burn try as well. But I suppose let's go to Jason Jenkins' try first here, uh, Liam. Leinster were pretty much starved with possession, particularly in our 22. And I mean, I thought it was a glorious setup there for Jason Jenkins to go over just before halftime. Yeah, look, I, I just thought uh, it was like blink of an eye thing from the from um, from Henshaw, and Jenkins again r- took the try really well. But I mean, for me, what's sort of there was if effectively Leinster had two opportunities really in the entire first half, and and they they scored, you know. So that that shows as a team how how really on the ball they are in terms of in terms of uh, their their interlink play and their ability to to to, to score tries yeah it's a, it's a, that's quite that was quite impressive and yeah we 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 found ourselves again i suppose look down 10-6 at half time um but it was still on a melting pot at that stage the tie burn try as well thought there was magnificent set up play again you know we go for the corner again this time we kind of worked out you know the face play here from the Munster rugby pack very much on point, same with the centres as well. And I suppose you have to give massive credit here to Stephen Archer as well for that drive uh, for Ty Burns' try. thought he was superb in the last few weeks, but even last hour day, I thought Stephen Archer was superb and Ty Burns going over. And I mean, you have to trust Frank Murphy's call there. He was closest to the action and uh, awarded a try. Yeah, and uh, as you said, like tap and go and just, just, just go for it. The fact that Byrne had like probably four lads, four fellow monster guys as well. I think it, there's no doubt about it. He was he was over the line. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And almost certainly I grounded the ball as well. So I I would certainly uh, go along with that. We had still able to get turnovers, uh, crucial turnovers at key times as well. Um, I suppose the 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 the, the fact is that Bayard Troy got Leinster in front. At a crucial time again, in what we call the championship minutes, and 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 Frawley misses the conversion as well, which, again, you know, I mean, this you're probably looking at, there are probably four choice in terms of goal kicking, and uh, yeah, that was a crucial miss, obviously. I think the game really did ebb and flow there in that third quarter after Tyke Burns tried. There was an awful lot of kicking game here, a bit of kind of blinking, see who'd make a mistake in the backfield. This certainly didn't happen here for both sides, but as I say, the Joe McCarthy try as well. I mean, you know, kind of set up play here. I suppose Leinster probably pretty pleased in terms of re-disrupting Munster ball, creating that opportunity. But I suppose Keith Earls was pretty adamant there, wasn't he, when the award of the try that he had held Joe McCarthy up. I suppose, can I get your thoughts there, Liam, on that? 
Yeah, and again, it, it was one of those things where you, let's be honest with you, you probably that one is one that should have went upstairs, in my view, should have been really, really looked at a lot, a lot more. But again, you know, I suppose look, you, you do have to give it to the attacking team. You, you'd almost to say certainly was over the line, so it's a question of whether it was grounded, you know. And in in those scenarios, I think I think the attacking team gets the favour. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think you know you have to re you have to go with the attacking team here. You know they're showing the initiative. They're on the front foot. So, but again, it kind of I thought as you said that key kind of point here with Kieran Frawley taking over the penalty or the conversion attempt here and. The attempt went wide. So, I mean, it gave Munster the lifeline here, uh, Liam, uh, certainly. I mean, even before the Jack Crowley dropped goal, I thought there was very much key interventions here from Munster because Leinster did control an awful lot of territory here, particularly going into the last 10 minutes. I think of the Gavin Coombs turnover. I can think of Tyke Byrne. There was a few notable tackles here that were put in by Munster. And again, it was all culminating in that defining game-winning drop of goal for Jack Crowley. But, I mean, from a team setup perspective, seeing an awful lot written about it, but a superbly worked score here, uh, Liam, deep from Munster's half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, what, I, what I liked is kind of Crowley started it and finished it effectively for me, you know, a bit of a breakout and, and then passed to Hodnett, who went on a bit of a good burst for himself. And yeah, I mean, look, went through the phases again. Kendellan, uh, hugely involved, you know, it, it was his massive, I suppose, drives really that, that propelled us up the field there. Um, and before the drop goal, I don't think it was signaled as, as, uh, as so blatantly. I mean, we had Crowley was look, kind of looking around, looking at his feet, kind of, I suppose, t- knowing it was coming, preparing himself mentally. But not looking straight ahead, you know. And yeah, when the ball came back, it just the sweetest strike, straight between the posts. And yeah, he had the finger up there for in celebration on the way back. But you know, it was it was still up in the air at that stage because Leinster had a kickoff, and um, yeah, I suppose look, they kind of they were offside from kickoff. It's just probably something they're not really used to as being behind in games, as far as I can remember. The only other game they were really behind in the league was the Stormers in the RDS. A few times they were they were behind there as well. And then, if you remember the 79th minute, we had our scrum, Munster scrum, but it went backwards. And I think Ken Dillon yeah. off the back basically rescued us again, you know. But um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant to see it out. To you know, to me, this is a, an absolutely transformative victory for Munster for seasons to come. Because it's 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 that sort of thing, that fine margin between a, a team that would lose narrowly and just a few guys would retire uh, uh, and some of the young players may never reach their potential. But this really, to me, speaks of a team that will go on, win the URC and be up there in Europe, in the European Cup next year. This, that's, that's how huge his victory is. Look at the magnitude, as you said. I, I think the last point that you've raised there, Liam, is massive. They're into the final of the URC. They're going to be a top seed here come the draw for the Champions Cup next season, which is going to be, I think, pretty huge uh, in the context of everything, really. They're going to be hopefully getting a pretty much a, an easier draw to get deeper into the tournament and the competition, I suppose. You kind of alluded to Alex Dellen coming on, top bench impact was massive coming on. I mean, like to Jan Klein coming off after about 45 minutes. 
really did show the attritional nature here. Um, here, Tommy O'Brien, also from Leinster. There's various players coming off at regular intervals here. I think uh, for me as well, just in terms of the Jack Crowley drop goal, I thought John Hotnett's phase just before the setup was very significant. You know, he makes another true two, three yards there on the ground that really does set up Craig Casey to set up uh, Crowley. And I think maybe there's a bit of disguise on drop a goal here, a little bit clean that maybe caught Leinster a little bit off the hop. Maybe they're expecting another one, two phases, but even then Crowley had an awful lot to do here with the likes of Henshaw, likes of Joe McCarthy coming, barring in on him. I think it was a pretty ice cold, uh, straight from the fridge delivery uh, from Jack Crowley. And I mean, it really does really cement his place here as probably his starting number 10 going forward for Munster. But yeah, I mean, there was pressure on him. You see a lot of drop goals. Quite frankly, there's no one in your view, in your peripheral vision, right? He had two guys coming and quite frankly, a bit more, a higher jump and that, and that, and that, that kick could have been dropped. Uh, blocked, you know what I mean? I mean, there was yeah. guys really motoring in on him. And again, you probably say <laughs> somebody else has to should have been taken out, you know what I mean? Kind of <laughs> coming on him. But anyway, um, yeah, but I mean, as I say, yeah, he's definitely cemented pro- he, he, he himself as, as the kind of backup there uh, to uh, Sexton, Johnny Sexton. And it's good things for next season too, you know, um, that he's kind of, he, he, he really has come through to be Munster's uh, number 10. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 fabulous to see. And as you said, all game though, he, his, his ball carrying was immense. Oftentimes he's carrying on the outside, you know, um, which seems to be a feature of his, his play in general. Yeah, it was superb. Um, and again, I, you talk about Archer, I thought Archer was immense in open play. I thought it was like in, incredible, you know, in terms of his rocking and in terms of his, even ball carrying as well. Yeah, um, when he went off, again, has to be said, <laughs> Salanoa on, <laughs> yeah, difference there as well. Um, I, th- I just thought, yeah, I thought I thought that um, Frisch again had to give a huge presence in in terms of in, in the center, and Daly again. We talk about Nash, but Daly again. I mean, if we're talking about like the informed wingers, I mean, Daly's cutting in inside lines are are becoming a real feature of Munster play as well. Oh, absolutely. I think Shane Daly has been. Such a consistent performer for Munster all season, you know, even going back to the real dodgy patch at the start of the season, I thought Shane Daly was probably one of the players that really stood out for Munster at that spell, and he's continued his form immaculately, great physicality and his ball carrying as well. I suppose I could also mention Roy Scanlon here a little bit here, uh, uh, Liam, you know, was trust into the action, minimal game time, but I thought his cameo at 12 right here really complimented Frisch amazingly well here. There were some notable carries here from Rory Scannell and really provided an awful lot of stability, you know, when required, uh, you know, in his cameo. So that was a nice positive here for Munster to take away from the game. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely outstanding. And again, nice balance because, you know, with Healy going off, um, obviously, crowds go to 10. But again, you're wondering whether what's, what's the centre going to balance going to be here? Like, you know, really, it was a big question. And yeah, superb. And again, for next season, it's a, it, 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 it's a it's a real brilliant uh, option for Munster to have. You know that that scandal freeish combination is a real exciting live option as well. You think of Sean O'Brien. You'll also think of Nackville as well. That's coming from Waikato Chiefs. And I mean, Scandal has versatility here as well. Liam, he can play a ten as well. Look, it was great to see Rory Scandal back. 
and really performing to the highest levels, you know, particularly against Leinster Rugby and the Aviva in a semi-final playoff. So it was great to see. And I thought Bench Impact, Salanoa, I thought was superb in terms of his work great around the open play as well. Really got stuck in physicality while he's beyond reproach here. And of course, we had to talk about Earls as well. <laughs> the guy oh, who sure. Jesus, had Earls and that over God, before yeah. his game even began. But um, I thought he was immense. I mean, the whole, the hit on Deegan and, and as you said, even he was there for... McCarthy try he was he was everywhere in that game. Yeah, except the marker early, didn't he? Keith Hurls at that tackle of Max Deegan. Textbook tackle really, really driving Deegan back, who's no no slouch really in terms of ball carrying. And I really thought that set the tone, you know. You know, it was an astute move from Graham Roundtree. And I think all credit to Keith Hurls, you know, after the the South African leg of the URC tour. I thought maybe we've seen the last of Keith Earls in the jersey, but my God, that was just, I thought, a superb performance off Earls, you know, from start to finish. But, I mean, kind of looking at Leinster here, Liam, I mean, it's the second successive year. I know there's the commitments from the Champions Cup and also URC, but this is the second successive year that they failed to qualify for the big dance, the grand final. And, I mean, again, it's probably showing from a URC perspective that the playoffs are a completely different animal to regular season. And maybe Leo Cullen and the management got slightly caught out here on squad rotation on this occasion. Yeah, maybe, maybe you say there was a bit of disrespect, I suppose, but, um, I, I, yeah, I think, I mean, this is, this is it. I mean, this is the second season. They haven't even made the final of the URC. That's the thing about it. Next week, it crat- ratchets up the pressure because I lost there and it's three seasons potentially without any trophy for this Leinster team. So, yeah, I mean, but look, look, you're kind of, it's a thing of, you're, it did, did, the devil your knows what to do, you know. You're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't, kind of thing, you know. Um, so it was a bit of a balancing act. But Leinster had, you know, you you, you look at their team. They had Van der Fleer, they had Henshaw, they had Conan, they had Baird. You know, they probably had, I would say, probably four of their their starting team there, and all all of their bench guys. You know, so it was a very, very formidable outfit that Munster played play there. No, I completely agree, Liam, because the Leinster system, these players can seamlessly fit into that system. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I think we've seen historically with Leinster-Munster games that these players have come in, have impressed and delivered, but I thought it was just a different animal from Munster. And, you know, these last few weeks have really defined the team in terms of the team building, the resiliency, the determination since that Sharks game in the last 16 of the Champions Cup. Even the Glasgow game at Home Park, I think, has been a key calendar event here for this Munster rugby team to really, you know, really regroup well. And I think, you know, the fact that they've been on the road here for the last six weeks really is to kind of testament to this fortitude of the squad now. And I mean, the sky's the limit here, uh, Liam. I mean, it's a grand final. They're going to be on the road again in Cape Town. And I mean, the confidence will be extremely high. And I mean, to be perfectly fair, Stormers know what they're going to be getting here. Uh, come grand final in two weeks' time. Pressure on the Stormers to deliver in front of their home fans. Um, Munster, I suppose you could say, it's just a, a free hit out. But the thing is, Munster have beaten them, and I would say comprehensively beat them in in the, in in a few weeks ago. Um, and Munster will have all of their players back. They'll pretty much be full strength. And if you were looking man man for man, I mean, I mean Munster. Have to beat nothing all over the pitch, 
Um, it's just a question of also playing smart rugby against Manny Libok. <laughs> Basically, don't give him free reign. And if that's the case, yeah, absolutely. Definitely is on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can conclude the Leinster-Munster game. I'll throw the stat out to you, Liam. Leinster made 246 tackles in the game against Munster. Munster made 172, but it's not every day you see a Leinster rugby team making that amount of tackles in a game. And I mean, maybe they're going to get a bit of a test here, you know, before the La Rochelle Champions Cup game. I suppose we can move to that Stormers-Connacht game in the Cape. From uh, a neutral perspective, if you've seen the scoreline 43-25 to the Stormers, you would have thought that this was a, a pretty routine Stormers win, but it was far from it here, Liam. And maybe Connacht, you know, reviewing game tape this week to end the season, probably will have a few regrets, particularly given the territory and the possession that they enjoyed during this game. I suppose your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there was certainly, it was, it was, um, a very free free flowing game, which we were expected to be honest between the two teams. Um, I think I'd said before the, the game that like basically there was lots of tries going to be scored against the the Stormers as well, because that's just the, the way they are in terms of the play. And yeah, it, in terms of the first half, I mean the fact is that Connacht had such a great start. I mean it was it was the start you would have hoped for. With with the Carty penalty and then the the Hansen try, I suppose yeah, it just for me I thought that the try was superbly like the the blade the Carty and then over the top pass to Hansen, but I thought his his uh, finish was superb. Anything you would have hoped for Connacht, I think it ticked an awful lot of the boxes, didn't it? You know, an eight nil lead. Stormers pretty nervy as well, weren't they? I mean, they were kind of fumbling with ball there deep in their own dead goal anyway and I mean it's uh, connected seas on that but I suppose we can talk about one player here for the Stormers who really got energised after 15 minutes that was the out, out half here Manny Libok I suppose Liam your thoughts on that performance and I think it's probably forewarning for Munster Rugby in this grand final in two weeks that Manny Libok has an inspired game Stormers will be retaining a URC title yeah, yeah, he may he makes them 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 tick, but he he creates things out of nothing as well. I mean, in that first half, I suppose yeah, he was directly involved in in all the tries. His cross kick there for for Davids was like just on point. Yeah. Um, in the first half there, and then he goes on and proceeds to score two tries himself and, and converts them. You have to remember he converted ever in the first half, so it was a pretty flawless performance from him. Um. Um, but again, Farrell, you know, had, had a very powerful run there um, towards the end of the first half, which resulted in, in kind of going over for a try. And half time, 11 points, absolutely nothing in it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Connacht showed an awful lot of resiliency in this game here, Liam, particularly with Manny Libock's, you know, performance here, uh, particularly really identifying space out wide. And, uh, you know, given the limited possession and territory that Stormers had here, the overall stats here, Connacht enjoyed 66% territory and 71% possession. So, I mean, given those stats here, the Manny Libok performance, I think, really gets magnified, doesn't it, given the limited ball that Libok would have had. So, but I mean, Connacht's still in it at half time, and then they kind of responded fairly well. I mean, as you say, the Oliver, you know, try, but then the hurry. Langton basically going over as well so I mean game's very much in the melting pot here Liam to be fair and uh, 
you know, Stormers having to go through the tackle count here. I mean, if I throw you the stat out here, tackle count, 184 for the Stormers versus just 46 for Connacht Rugby. really does tell the table of the tape here in terms of, I suppose, Andy Friend, Pete Wilkins, Mossy Lawler, and the rest of the Connacht Rugby uh, management here. If you'd thrown those stats out to Connacht Rugby this time last week before the game, they would have fancied their chances of winning this game. So, I mean, they did pretty much everything here, but apart from put points on the board. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing was, for me, when you're looking there, 60 minutes, and it's 24-20. And what you do is you keep the ball down their half. You kick all the time. You let them run back. You come up in a very strong line, and either they concede a penalty or, or turnover, or they kick back to you in a, in a good position um, um, and, and just, just kind of suffocate them, essentially. And that that's probably what should have been done. But I think this was the next the next try really opened the gap there. Yeah, David's break uh, to du- Duplessis, and I, I think at thirty one twenty was probably that was probably it. Like, but still, you know, um, Ralston got a try back for Connacht still to bring it back to thirty one twenty five with five minutes to go, six points in it. But then the Daimani show, <laughs> yeah. some beautiful passing from him. To kind of put a, a bit of a gloss, I, I, which I think was totally undeserved, on the scoreboard. Like there was literally, there was only literally uh, a, a kick in it, in my view, for for that second half. Yeah, I'd agree as well. I think the scoreline is very unjust for Connacht, given what they contributed to the game. Stormers, I'd say, would be first to admit that as well. That the eighteen point margin really doesn't reflect what the game was. To be perfectly fair. But I suppose, Liam, playoff rugby, it's all about taking your opportunities. And to be perfectly fair, that the Stormers' backline cohesion here really did pose Connacht an awful lot of issues. If I threw another stat out at you about Connacht rugby, 69% tackle success rate in a playoff semi-final, you need to be getting up into the high 80s and 90s. And really, you know, the outcome here, I know it's an 18-point loss, but I think that maybe tells a little bit of the tale of the tape here in terms of your first-time tackles being missed here and... uh, no better side than the Stormers really to expose those sort of frailties, particularly when, you know, the Damien Williamson absolutely super form. Yeah, and again, I I felt that Connacht, you know, while the line in the middle was was fairly okay, on the outside certainly, I mean, Connacht had guys isolated, you know, like like their their full back and winger would be like isolated, so that when the Stormers broke, really Connacht were like basically skinned on the outside on, on a number of occasions in the, in the second half. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Connacht in terms of, in terms of the rook, in terms of their mall, everything was like on point, you know? So I, I think Connacht will look back with a, a tinge of regret really in, in, in terms of what could have happened in that second half, I think. Indeed, you know, it's, uh, as Andy Fred said, post-game, they don't want to be considered plucky losers. But the fact here is that, you know, Connacht have come up short. And again, it's, um, you know, they left it all out there. But I think, you know, key lessons here for Connacht Rugby, particularly when it gets to the playoff, particularly semi-finals and the quarter-finals, they probably got away with one or two things against Ulster Rugby, particularly from an attacking side of the ball sense and maybe defensively as well. But certainly when you get to the calibre of a Stormers outfit here, with a dominant number 10 and a very potent back line, I think you'll see the weak points get exposed. And I think to Connick's credit, they continue to fight. But again, 
there was hammer blow after hammer blow here, 24 unanswered points as well at one point for the Stormer. So, I mean, Connacht can hold their heads up high here, uh, Liam. It's been a fantastic end to the season, really, when you consider the start of the season that they had with the length of injuries that they did sustain. That South African trip early, they were behind the eight ball in terms of the playoff race, but their form since Christmas, as we've said in previous podcast episodes here, Liam, has been absolutely sensational. And it really does leave this ball club in a really healthy position with Pete Wilkinson going to take over the head coaching job from Andy Friend. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I mean, it, it, it was the fact that, let's be honest about it, um, they were looking all at sea, like Munster, all at sea really around, around Christmas and looking as if they were going to miss out on a, on a spot. And they had to win pretty much all their games <laughs> from then to the end of the season, which they did. I mean, which is absolutely sensational. Absolutely sensational to to reach the URC semi final to, to now know that they can compete against the best teams. I mean, you know, they they're they're winning the top teams in the URC, and Wilkins really is inheriting a very good team in form. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. I think the nucleus of this side have committed to long term contracts. Again, the transitional period should be minimal here, Liam given that Pete Wilkins has had a close working relationship with Andy Friend here, particularly when the announcement has been made in terms of head coaching there a few months ago. And you'd kind of imagine that Pete Wilkinson behind the scenes was probably taking over a few responsibilities from Andy Friend, given that would have been Andy Friend's kind of last season with the province. But I mean, Liam, talking about Andy Friend, I suppose, what's the legacy here? Andy Friend has spent five years at Connacht. How do you define the legacy that he's left? Well, one of the things is um, the players coming through. I mean, I mean the academy and the, the local talent is without doubt coming through, something that wasn't there before. He has Connacht at the highest, I, I, I would nearly say in a, in, a, in a way far more sustainable than when Pat Lamb left. I mean, yeah, Lamb won the league, but kind of, you felt it was kind of almost like the um, the apex, the pinnacle, and it was going to be all downwards from there for Connacht, really. Whereas with this, you feel Connacht are going to be in uh, with the shout in terms of the URC and the European Cup for many seasons to come, and it's almost going to be they're going to be a top half team. That that's the, that's the feeling for me, and um, also that. They're far more clinical in terms of taking their their try scoring chances. And even in, you know, I, we point to this game here, Stormers, they took their chances. I mean, they took their try scoring chances. Um, and um, they have an excellent scrum and they have some very exciting backs with, with, with Cordero now to come. Yeah. I mean, wow, some serious try scoring potential out there. Um, so everything really smacks of uh, of a guy who just transformed the whole Connacht organisation. It was at a low ebb when he arrived into this ball club. I mean, the Karen Keane experiment, experience really didn't get off the ground. And I think an awful lot of disillusioned fans were around Connacht. And even the announcement of Andy Friend at the start kind of maybe was greeted with maybe one or two kind of, you know, eyes raised, but I mean, fairness, Andy Friend, he's really bought into the whole Connacht rugby ethos, the vision, the locality, the community. But I think you've nailed an awful lot of the underage, the academy talent that's coming through. And 
it's in a very lucrative and an attractive proposition now to come to Connacht Rugby post Andy Friend. I mean, as you say, Santiago Codero. My God, that's a marquee signing if you've ever seen one. And I mean, from a back tree perspective for Connacht, they already had weapons already. But to add a, a guy of Cordero's skill set coming into the Champions Cup next season, I mean, Connacht are going to be really a live threat. So, again, there's an awful lot of off-the-field infrastructural upgrades happening with the ball club that were really instigated by Andy Friend. So, I mean, he leaves his club... I think with the highest regard from anyone here that I'm based in Galway, an awful lot of supporters really have hailed his contributions here and has really left Connacht Rugby in a solid footing. All you really expect is to leave a place better than you've come in. I think he's certainly ticked an awful lot of boxes here, Liam, and we wish Andy Friend all the best in terms of his next move in rugby as he moves back down to Australia. So, look, he'll be a loss, but, I mean, Pete Wilkins is... Uh, taking over. I know there'll be some coaching turnover here as well from Connacht Rugby as well here, Liam. It'll be interesting just to see the backroom staff composition and how things gel, particularly in pre-season when the team come back in in July. But I mean, overall I think it's been an excellent season and as you said, one to consolidate and really push on again uh, next season, particularly in Champions Cup and also in the URC. Yeah, and also um, Mark Sexton appointed this week. I think I think he's a brother, Johnny. Yeah. Um, from what I know from his career, he was with the likes of Cornish Pirates, actually went to Melbourne Rebels as well. But in terms of the fact that he was the under-20 attacking coach for Irish under-20s for two years in a row, in which we amazingly won two Grand Slams. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a guy who's going to bring uh, a lot of innovation to, to Connacht's back, uh, attacking play as well. Yeah, I think that's a very astute move by Connacht Rugby to appoint Mark Sexton. You know, as you've said, his coaching resume is excellent here. He's well regarded in coaching circles. So, I mean, that's a nice indigenous homegrown coach coming into Connacht who will hit the ground running here. So certainly, like John Muldoon coming back into the ball club, I think very exciting in terms of some of the new signings that will be coming into Connacht next season as well. So particularly in the pack element here. So, I mean, all optimistic tones here for Connacht but they fell short here against the Stormers in the Cape 43-25 and I suppose Liam we can review the URC final next week uh, Stormers and Munster but that'll be a fascinating grand final anyway and if it's anything to do with the the round 16 round I think we'll be in for a good classic there I suppose Liam we could leave URC and move into the Champions Cup final Again, we've talked about Leinster Rugby here, uh, their last Munster in URC, but they've had to reset focus fairly quickly, given the daunting challenge that lies away in the Aviva on Saturday afternoon against La Rochelle. I suppose get your pre-game thoughts here, uh, Liam, on the Leinster-La Rochelle game. Yeah, well, the first thing is, I mean, certainly, you know, Leinster losing to Munster uh, on Saturday, that, that's, that's one thing that'll be in their heads. I think there's a lot's going to be in our heads, to be honest with you. I think O'Gara is going to be in their heads. Um, I, I think the fact that La Rochelle had the smarts to beat them last year. in key, in Basically, they, La Rochelle had the key moments. Leinster had a lot of possession, but La Rochelle kind of suffocated them and uh, had their own brilliant attacking play, actually, that they brought last year, which is probably a bit unexpected, to be honest about it. Um, and I think that... La Rochelle 
themselves feel like they have the beating of Leinster, you know, and it, and it's so important that mentality, like what do we are now nearly feel that they have the beating of the All Blacks. It's it's something that's undefinable, but um, I think that this is a game which is very tight to call and. It's in the melting pot. I tell you, Leinster are up against it against a team. If if you were looking on paper, if you were to do a combined team, it'd be pretty much half and half. That mm. so there's nothing in it in my view. Yeah, I think this is very much a fifty-fifty game, and I think the result from last weekend. I think some Leinster fans will probably dismiss, but I think that has to have a psychological effect on the ball club. You know, they were going for the double this year. I think it was probably a realistic game of this Leinster rugby side, given their dominance in URC and also in Champions Cup. But it's now really kind of coming to the business end of the season. And, I mean, their record against La Rochelle. La Rochelle are the nemesis for Leinster rugby here. I mean, the pack battle alone here, Liam, I think will decide this cup final. I generally do. And I think this is going to be a big, big ask for Leinster rugby. You know, and I think, you know, from a front five perspective, this is going to be their biggest test of the season by none. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to say so. I mean, you know, you've got the likes of Antonio and you've Skelton and Aldridge. It's absolutely immense. Like, I mean, some of the best players in the world in their positions. But for me, it, it's also the fact that Jonathan Dante has come back from long-term injury mm-hmm. to play last weekend. It's the fact that Kerr Barlow, an absolutely brilliant uh, scrum half, is playing this year. He didn't actually play in the final last year, out injured. So, I mean, really, they are going to be very formidable. And you would probably be thinking, look, home advantage is huge, as it was last year for um, La Rochelle when they played down in the south of France. Um, but, you know, La Rochelle, for, for a second year running, they're on, they're on two fronts. They're in the semi-final in the, in the, in the top 14 and O'Gara is well capable of masterminding them to another victory as well on Saturday. Absolutely. I mean, La Rochelle last weekend did rest 12 of their first team, who will probably be starting against Leinster Rugby uh, this weekend. They lost to Montpellier, but, I mean, to be fair, they've had a fantastic domestic season. I suppose from a Leinster Rugby perspective, the video analysis here of La Rochelle has been extensive, but looking back at that last 16 fixture with Leinster Rugby, in La Rochelle. I think Leinster Rugby, the breakdown work of Gloucester on that day, I thought was nothing short of sensational. And on another day, they could have absolutely upset the apple cart. And I think that's probably an area where Leinster will definitely focus in on, particularly in the breakdown um, here. Do you agree, Liam? There's nothing about it. I mean, when you have the likes of Van der Flyer and and, uh, Conan potentially, and uh, certainly... Keel and Doris, I mean, that that's that's you know probably the informed back row in Europe um all season. And certainly it's an area that, that they can be definitely got at. Again, they're 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 I suppose they're a big team, big physical team, but again, how do you play that that sort of a team? You make them run, you basically, and you and you make them tackle, and especially you make them go for, from rock to rock. And, and you basically kind of t- tired tired the big men out that way. So that that yeah, that's one thing area which Leinster will definitely target. I suppose too. Last year, 
that Leinster it was felt that a scrum time that that they weren't they, they were in a bit of a, a struggle as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see this year how the penalty count goes in terms of the scrums. Um, again, look, look. I mean, the key thing there you'd be obviously th- probably thinking would be Porter up against uh, Antonio would be certainly key there as well. But I'm looking forward to if it's going to be basically the, the battle of the number eights of, of Aldred and uh, Doris as well is going to be absolutely sensational. Um, I think that Levani Botia is an absolutely unbelievable player. And again, he 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 probably would play back row, but he can also play centre. He can play at 12. Um, I think he is a key player as well on Saturday. Yeah, I fully agree with you there. I'll also add in Hastoy as well. La Rochelle, if they did have a bit of an Achilles heel in previous pre seasons, really has been their kicking off the tee, but Hastoy has been absolutely nailed on this season. And I think given the weather conditions for Dublin this weekend, 17 degrees, 10 kilometres wind, I think is going to be negligible. So I think from that perspective, I think from both sides here, you know, early penalty, you know, penalties setting the platform could be key here. So I suppose, Liam, from our perspective, what's your tip uh, for the final? Who do you feel will be victorious on Saturday in the Aviva? Well, I, I did think that, like as I said, for man for man, it's pretty much even Stephen. You know, it, it, half the team of a combined would be Leinster, half would be La Rochelle. But then you have to look at the bench impact, and it's it's absolutely immense as as what potentially Leinster could have. They could have the likes of Healy and Kelleher and Alalatoa and uh, Ryan Baird and Jack Conan, <laughs> you know, and maybe Jordan Larmer and Luke McGrath and, and that ilk. So um, kind of a, a superb um, bench impact. And I think that will have to be key. Now, I know last year was it a bench. It was probably La Rochelle's big ball carriers actually made the impact. But uh, this year, I think I think I think it would be it would be Leinster. That Leinster, I would say six point win for Leinster um, to come in to come in the last ten minutes. I think it'll be pretty much even Stephen up to that stage. So I, I think I think for for this bunch of players and this coaching team as well, because you have to remember with um, Stuart Lancaster going, it, it's kind of written in the stars that, that they have to deliver, and I think they will do so on Saturday. Well, they have to really, or else the season's going to be a very much a big disappointment for everyone connected to with Leinster Rugby. I mean, the Aviva Stadium is effectively a home final for Leinster, but again, that can, you know, the support in the stadium, that can work one or two ways here. Uh, Liam, I'm going to tip La Rochelle, if I'm being brutally honest. I feel front five wise here, I think La Rochelle are going to set their stall out fairly early here. I think Munster did show last weekend here, you know, the physicality stakes, Getting into Leinster faces here, really minimising the space, particularly for the 9 and 10. I think it'll be very interesting to see how Leinster cope with that. I mean, the weather, I think, is a non-factor here on uh, Saturday, I generally do. And I think you have the likes of Skelton here, Antonio, if he can get through 45, 50 minutes here. I think there's key cameos here. Aldrich as well is poised for a, a great performance. I think that Doris battle is worth a gate admission alone. I just feel here... Scrummaging wise, I think it's going to be huge in terms of who gets supremacy here. And I just feel here that 
La Rochelle might have a potential edge here at certain stages. I think on that basis, I think Leinster are going to have to suck up the cattle, tackle count here as well. I think the 246 that we saw against Munster Rugby, I think there might have to be a replica of that for them to and get into the 90s in terms of their tackle success rate to be here. I think La Rochelle will control, I think, an awful lot of territory and possession here in this game. So it'll be interesting just to see Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster. It's 12 months after the previous Champions Cup final. What have they learned? What have they evolved here in terms of a game plan? Because if they go out with the same game plan that they did 12 months ago, I don't think they're winning here. I think La Rochelle have a bit of a confidence and a bit of a swag about them. So I think La Rochelle, for me, probably seven seven point win here, uh, to be fair, Aleem. And I think this loss against Munster Rugby, I can't un- overestimate. I think the psychological effect here in terms of being battle-hardened, in terms of getting into the championship minutes here, the last 10 minutes of a championship final. Leinster really haven't had that this season, particularly even with the first team guys. You know, look, every game they've played with Leinster has been a bit of a stroll in the park after minute 30 or 40. This is going to be full on for 80 minutes. So I'm just wondering here in terms of how mentally prepared and how willing Leinster are going to be to get down to that well, actually. They probably will, but is it going to be enough? My inkling here is probably not. And I think La Rochelle, for me, are going to kind of uh, come into Dublin and retain their title here. But I think it'll be a magnificent game here. And, I mean, geez, uh, La Rochelle, if they can get two in a row here, Liam Ronan O'Gara's legacy here in uh, La Rochelle, I think they'll be building the statue for him uh, after this. They will. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be kind of crowning him the king. They'll be having him parading through the town, absolutely. Um, I think your point is very well made, and it's that Leinster really in the last two seasons when they've been in crucial games they have not found a way to win they have not had an answer and to be honest with you, they've looked a bit shell-shocked so we've had the Bulls semi-final last season the La Rochelle we've had Munster just last Saturday they just simply don't when it's put up to them by by the top teams they can't just bully their way or they can't just score a sensational try in the corner you know i mean it just they they haven't been able to find a way to win and again teams posed them prop different different problems certain in terms of physicality when they've been basically i suppose bullied off the park and in, in some some instances and again I, a lot of that has has basically stifled leinster's creative play they just simply haven't had the noose to kind of try something different and yeah, I mean that could very well happen again on Saturday. But for me, I just feel home advantage in the Aviva is absolutely huge. Um, the fact is, in the semi-final against a fine Toulouse team with about a third of the French national team, they absolutely in the second half just took them to the cleaners, and they are capable of a, a burst and just being completely away in. The, the match done with and I, I think that that can happen again on Saturday so that's why uh, yeah I, I would still kind of just about tip Leinster La Rochelle as well they'll know full well that there's discipline have to be has to be in so much on point here just given how Leinster have destroyed the likes of Leicester Tigers to lose particularly in that last four last eight even going back to last 16 once they've had the man advantage they've really made it 
pay. And I suppose from a La Rochelle perspective, they're going to have to be so tight defensively and also discipline-wise. But I think from a La Rochelle perspective, they're going to test out a few Leinster players immediately. James Lowe comes to mind. You know, he's had that niggling leg injury here. So it'll be interesting to see a few aerial kicks and challenges to James Lowe's wing, particularly, just to see how that goes. Uh, I think it'll be a very fascinating kicking game, I would say, between Ross Byrne and Hastoy here. I think you'll have a bit of variation here. I think Raj and La Rochelle are going to mix this up quite well. And I think the breakdown work here, if Lancer are going to win here, Liam, the breakdown has to be very much on point. But you can see the likes of Skeltons, you can see the Aldrets, you can see the Bottias here as well, really disrupting Leinster ball here if it's not if it's not too careful. So, look, I think it's intriguingly poised. I think we've kind of split it down the middle here. But I think, to be perfectly fair here, Liam, it looks like a massively intriguing final to look forward to on Saturday and may the best team win, uh, culminating in a great tournament here. I suppose before we go, let's have a look at the Challenge Cup on Friday night, Friday night lights on the Viva. Toulon facing Glasgow Warriors, I suppose, your preview of this game, Liam. Uh, what are you looking forward to in this one? Glasgow have been actually superb for, for much of the season in terms of the URC and in terms of Toulon. I think Toulon are actually very much up towards the top there in the top 14 as well. So um, two teams which you know you probably would have to say, uh, it, it's certainly in Glasgow's case, they've qualified for Europe, Toulon, probably yet to, to fully get their European spot in, in France. Um, but what impressed me, I suppose, in the semifinals was how comprehensive the victories were. I mean, I really was thinking opposite. I mean, for Toulon to win 23-0 against Benetton was was a very impressive performance. And again, Glasgow, um, away to, to Scarlet's, absolutely hammered them as well. So... Um, it certainly sets up an intriguing final. So two two teams like this in a neutral venue. I I think in terms of World Rugby at the moment, I just think that the whole central combination for Glasgow is just simply sensational, you know. And Tui Palutu probably more so, you know, more more star, but Jones as well. Um, and yeah, they have a very good um, mall in terms of Glasgow. And yeah, I just think that their their general play has been actually on point throughout the league. On the other hand, uh, for me, I have to say that Toulon are a bit of a dark horse, kind of coming under the radar a bit. Um, and of the French teams, you know, we, we know the, the top three or four French teams. Toulouse, Toulon, I should say, have been obviously very up there in terms of the European Cup then kind of went down the league. Um, and this is an opportunity really to, to, to get back in again in terms of Europe and make their name in Europe. So this is massive for them as a club. And uh, again, they have some excellent uh, players themselves, Toulon, and they seem to, to be playing really a very exciting brand of rugby. So... For me, I, I would be actually going with Glasgow myself. I think uh, they haven't actually won European competition, obviously, before. And if I'm correct, potentially there hasn't been any Scottish win in uh, Europe. Would it be right to say that? I believe, I believe you're correct in that, uh, Liam. Yep. So, so those sort of things, I mean, would propel any team in terms of uh, winning the cup. And I think 
that will that will be sufficient for for Glasgow. Really, there's no excuse for Glasgow Warriors here. I mean, they've had probably a greater setup than they anticipated. That early loss to Munster Rugby in the playoffs really has focused minds within Scotston to uh, look to really go massively for this Challenge Cup tilt. I mean, I've written down here Toulon's defence versus the Warriors' attacking uh, threat out wide. So I think from that perspective, I think Toulon have really shown at home in this competition that they've been exceedingly strong. I just question them away from home, uh, particularly away from Toulon, their home confines. I think they can be a little bit vulnerable. Now, Glasgow, I think it's a glorious opportunity for them, but they will need to really front up, particularly in that pack, because Toulon's pack, they really did set out a massively impressive platform against Benetton. And we've talked about Benetton at length here in this season's rugby podcast team on Benetton, how they've really progressed in terms of their attacking play, but they were absolutely shut down by Toulon in that semi-final. I thought that was probably the marquee Challenge Cup fixture performance for me. And I think from a Glasgow perspective, they're really going to have to get things right, particularly in the pack, because Munster did expose one or two frailties there, particularly in the pack, particularly in the playoffs. I know you can talk about the sending off and everything else, but the fact of the matter was Toulon won't take a step back here. And I think Glasgow are really going to have to earn the right to basically get the likes of Hugh Jones to pollute to to really express themselves because I think this is going to be one really again, again in that front eight to really set the platform. So I think it's a very much a 50, 50 game here and probably on paper, probably the more high scoring game uh, compared to champions cup. Really? I think both teams here, you know, have the potential to really unleash some great attacking play. So I suppose you're hedging your bets on Glasgow here. Yeah. Yeah, and then then again, you know, you have you have match winners, I suppose, in, in the likes of Colby and you know, you can say Villiers and, and bigger in terms of Toulon. But again, it's one of the occasions for for me where the team is going to actually win it and and try as Toulon might. Um I I, I don't think that Colby would, would be able to pull it out of the bag essentially for for uh, Toulon. I'm going to just go heart and head here. I'd love to see Glasgow Warriors win it. I'd love to see Scotland get European silverware here in Rugby Union. I think this ball club, Glasgow Warriors, are really yearning for silverware. And I think this would be a massive, massive achievement for the club that could propel them to bigger and better things. I think marginally probably three to five points for me here because I think Toulon are not going to go away here. I think Glasgow are going to have to be so accurate here, both without the ball and also attacking-wise because this Toulon team, as you say, there's a Colby there, Dan Bigger, well capable of controlling if he's front five, set a platform. So I think Glasgow, it, this is going to be a cracking final here as well, a, a real good prelude to the Leinster-La Rochelle game the following day. So I will go Glasgow here, but again, that's the very hesitant Glasgow Warriors prediction for me anyway. I suppose, Liam, we can leave it there. I mean, plenty to cover tonight anyway. Uh, I suppose next week we can review both the Challenge Cup and Champions Cup finals played in Dublin this weekend. And also we'll have a look at the URC, the grand final in Cape Town between the Stormers and Munster. And we'll have an in-depth review there of that contest. I suppose, Liam, enjoy the weekend and we'll talk next week. Right, Mark. Okay, see you then. Good luck. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon 
Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Sidekick on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.